0: Ready? March the 24th, 2013, lecture discussion number 103 or 103 on the book of Romans. And as you know, I'm kind of treading water sort of to get to first fruits because I, I, I have something that I'm trying to do that's reasonably uh, uh, special and I don't want people to miss it and I know that'll be one of our bigger uh, crowds and so I'm just trying to work my way to it and I'm doing things that, uh, um, that fit in a little bit but I am I am intentionally um, stalling, yes. Uh, It's uh, been an interesting week for me, uh, which means bad, if it's interesting. This morning I had this lecture, you know, there's 4,500 words here, for those of you who want to know, there's 14, 15 pages, and I had it mostly done, and um, um, I just kind of clean it up and walk through it, much what I do here. And, uh, and every time I do, I have to have my medicine, and I have to have a lot of it because that's the way I am. And I spilled it all over, completely destroyed it. And so I tried to save it. I saved the front page. The rest of it I had to rewrite. re-write. So that's that's been my week. Uh, Earlier, the engine in my van uh, announced its impending demise. That happened on Wednesday. Bill and I are riding home uh, from Eagle River, and it sounds like a guy is beating that car to death with a hammer. And we're going, we're not going to make it. And Lori's behind us, and we're thinking, okay, we're going to have to unload all the tools out, and it's packed full of junk. It's not junk. Very heavy, expensive tools are packed in there. And and we're just thinking, this is going to be bad. And But we... We did get home, much to our surprise. We were both grateful and, and stunned by that, and I got it into the into the front yard where it's now blocked in by snow. Uh, it's a camshaft bearing, or maybe it's a rod that's going to launch itself through the engine block at any minute, and um, it's just not going to make it. So van go boom on Wednesday. And I have, as you know, uh, an unjustifiable peculiar empathy and attachment for my little blue van. I... <laughs> I never thought it would last this long, and it has, and I'm just proud of it, and I don't want it to die, and so I thought, well, you know, I got it pretty cheap. Um, It was pretty much just given to us because it was about to blow up, and it's lasted three years, going back, and 60 miles a day, I have to drive it to get it out and back, and it's held on, so I thought, okay, I'm going to call somebody and see what it costs to replace this engine, so my little blue van and I will go another couple of years. So I get the mechanic and the, and the estimator. Essentially, is what what they are. I get them on the on the phone, and the, and they ask me the age of the van, and I tell them, and the mileage, and I tell them that, and the general overall condition, and what I use it for. And then there was this. I had to be 15 seconds of silence, at least. And I'm just going to say, how long how long is he going to not talk to me? This is kind of cool. And he finally, he says, uh, he says, why? <laughs> why are you going to replace the engine? Why don't you donate it to somebody? That's word for word. Why don't you, why do you want to pour that kind of money into a rat hole? That's what, word for word. Or is this a joke? You know, he didn't ask if I was a ranting idiot, but, uh, uh that's the only thing he didn't get wrong. Um, so, I, and I know, I got to say, I'm thinking while he's talking to me like this, He's right. How did how did he know that this was uh, that I have a history of rat holes and windmills? That's what I do. I don't know why. It's a personality defect. So I was reflecting on, and, and I knew he was right, and I knew I couldn't fix it. But I'm still thinking about it, by the way. And, and I'm reflecting now on my instinct for setting money on fire. And and so I'm sitting there. Going, wow, I really want to fix the van, but it's stupid, and I know it's stupid. I should go get a, anything but this van, and, and uh, the phone rings. And what do I do when the phone rings? You know me. What do I do? I never answer the phone. Uh, my caller ID doesn't work anymore. I have to get up and go into the kitchen to see who it is before I'll answer So uh, it's something I try not to do when I'm home. I'm usually exhausted, and now I'm weeping over the death of my van. So I but I didn't. I don't know why I answered it, but I did. It's really rare that I do that. And on the line with somebody arguing with a Jehovah's Witness. And and the argument the argument kind of is going like this. They were not apparently not winning. And so they, they said, Okay, I'm gonna dial this phone number and you'll talk to this guy. And and I am the answer, at which, like I said, I just don't do stuff like that, and and I did. And they put me on speaker, and they were arguing over the godhood of Christ, uh, essentially, and like I said, they put me on speaker, and what could possibly go wrong here? And they were in a public place. They were surrounded, um, you know, restaurant or wherever they were, they were surrounded by a lot of people, and so... I've been in these discussions far too many times to count. As you know, they used to come to my door and eventually they put a big red X on my house and they don't come back anymore. And they always follow the same predictable format every single time. It's always the same. Every time. So if you find yourself in this situation, it's good for you to know where the end is. And you can tell yourself, "Okay, I'm in a discussion and it's going to end here. It's not going to go to a place that you think will be fruitful. The end is always going to be a rat hole in a windmill. Everywhere. I know. I'm a highly trained rat hole professional. And you see, this is Romans 5.12, which is where we are. The discussion that you have with these groups, specifically in this case, um, the Jehovah's Witnesses, is Romans 5.12, eventually where the Bible says the biological death generation factor is transferred through the male, through the fertilization process, into all human beings. That's what Romans 5.12 is saying, that we have a death generator in us. There's something in our body that is causing death. It's called the mortogenic factor, or the death generator, or the death generation factor, and it is inside every human being that has been fertilized, and of course, as you know, that's whatever processes fertilization now, the science is getting to the place where they're artificially fertilizing. But that that sperm is bringing death generation to that child in all human beings. And only one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, went through the birth experience without acquiring the mortogenic element or the sin-death factor. And that, by the way, as you know, is the reason for the virgin birth. I had to eliminate the male... Through one man, Genesis uh, is the, the curse of Genesis. Romans 5:12. Through one man, sin and death. And now it's all men. It's transferred to all of us. We all have it. I have it. You have it. There is only one who went through the birth process and uh, the birth experience without acquiring it, and that, of course, is the purpose of the virgin birth, and that is God Himself. So that's and so you begin to recognize. Well, okay, that's why the virgin birth. I cannot have the man included in the virgin birth because I have to. I have to have a uh, a human being that does not have any sin or any death in his blood. Why? Why do I have to have a human being that way? Well, I have to have the blood in the flesh. Why do I need the blood in the flesh? Because I have to have a source of living blood and living flesh. Why? Because we're all dead. We have dead flesh and dead, dead blood, and this is one great big blood transfusion and flesh, uh, transfusion, if you will, for lack of a better term. So the virgin birth is to get that accomplished. That's the foremost purpose of it, is to avoid the mortogenic factor that is in all males. Okay, now along with that, I gotta add humanity. He must be a man. Because of the sacrificial system, the substitutionary requirement. He, I, he has to be Jewish. Uh, it's very important that he's Jewish to God. That's another, he's the king of the Jews. I have the Davidic covenant. He's going to sit on the throne of David. So I've got to have this Jewish heritage and I have to have this inheritance issue, a son of David, this messianic prophecy. Another reason for the virgin birth, see? I, I also, as I said, I have the sacri- sacrificial system. That requires that uh, he be a human being. I need the blood and I need the flesh that we go through on communion. We'll do that next week, right? Always in remembrance of me. Whenever you do this, whenever you have the Passover meal, make sure that you do the bread in the cup. And we're following directions. has to be on Passover usually, but we do it on first fruits. We're trying to be close. We're Gentiles after all. Another reason for the virgin birth is the uh, death and resurrection. I'll explain that in a minute. And then this one, there's more. And then the hiddenness. Oops, how do you spell hiddenness? That's very important. Christ hid himself in humanity. He hid himself in childhood. That is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God hiding in a baby, in the form of a baby, in the form of a human. You really see that. Typified in the uh, Ark of the Covenant as the Jews, because the Ark of the Covenant is also a symbol of Christ. And it was covered, it was hidden as it was moved through Israel. As he moved through Israel, as Christ walked through Israel, he was hidden inside of humanity. Real humanity, he has to have real humanity because I need real blood. I need a real death. I need real resurrection. I need a real inheritance with regard to Jewishness in the Davidic Covenant. And I have to have a man to sacrifice or substitute for a man. Human for human. That's God's salvation system. And the virgin birth takes care of all of that. It's quite so important. That's why it's one of the fundamentals of the faith. And these two right here, the blood-flesh communion element and the death-resurrection element, that's where the Jehovah's Witnesses reveal their hatred for the godhood of Christ. And that's not too strong a word, by the way. That's accurate. They hate it. Whenever I get into this discussion... I get to Romans 5.12, I get to the virgin birth, I explain the purpose of the virgin birth, boy, when I get to 4 and 5, then it gets nasty. Every time. And they will eventually say something like what was said to me on that phone call, and I'm going to quote it to you. This is what, it was late, this is what she said. And I'll try to do the best I can to repeat her tone and uh, and her words. You... Speaking to me, you will never find any place in Scripture where Jesus Christ is called God. Never. He's only the Son of God. He is not God. Not God. Not God. That's what she said. Now, you get their handout. It says that in her handout. Can't miss it. And I get them there every time by doing this. Romans 5.12. Going through those things. Bang, 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 bang. And I've yet to speak to a Jehovah's Witnesses, a Witness or uh, any of that group, by the way. They're not the only ones that have this position. There's actually churches all over this country that pretend to be Christian that have this position. But I've yet to speak to anyone that won't say something, anyone from their side that won't say something similar or exact to what I just read you. That is their final parting shot. They can't beat me. So, they screamed something like that. And usually said with great anger, as it was this time. Happens every time. And, of course, uh, I know that I might be the cause of that. Tough to imagine, being that I'm so friendly and fuzzy. But I could be uh, causing them to get angry. And, and, and that's okay. I don't mind doing that. One of the things I do is I insist on John 8.24. Makes him very mad. I go right there, too. I go from the virgin birth, John 8.24. And that is, as you know, or should know, and everyone should know. That's where Jesus Christ says the following. And it's translated, uh, it has uh, this word in it. I'll write it on the board and then I'll, it has it in italics. Whenever, uh, that's my idea of italics right there. Whenever you see a word in your Bible that is in italics, you know, it's leaning and kind of in cursive, it's not in normal print, that means what to you? Yeah, it's an added word. It's not in the text. Very important that you know that. Because he didn't use that word. So, this is what he said. 824. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And I think he said it like this. If you do not believe I am, you will die in your sins. So, I'll try to make the I am as big as I can. The entire context, including verse 23 with verse 24, says this. And he said to them, you, talking to human beings, his disciples, the crowd around him, if you will, the people who heard, heard him say this, and he said to them, you are from beneath. What's he mean? I'll keep going. I am from above. What's he mean? What's beneath mean? You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I say to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That's 823 and 824. So, first he sets it up by saying, I am not of this world. Who is he? Then he tells you who he is. Who is he? He's the I am. You are not. The I am, I, and the I am. That's what he's saying. You're of this world. You're created. I am God. And the I am is a reference to Exodus 3.14, as you know, where he says, I am who I am. That's the burning bush. Moses says, people are going to want to know your name. What's your name? I go to Egypt. They're going to want to know. And he says, tell him, I am who I am, which means he's in the present tense. He is the creator of time. He is outside of time. He has existence. He is the source of existence. You exist. I exist. Why? Why? Because He has given us existence. You're immortal. I'm immortal uh, because we have been given immortality. I am has immortality, existence, and the issue of time and being outside of time. He is in the present, as you hear me say all the time. You are not in the present. You are uh, you are in the you have a future and you have a past. You have no present. And if you think you do have a present, all you need to do is get out a stopwatch and time your present. You find out really fast you ain't got one. Because it's instantly past. You got future, you got past. He is the I am, you not the I am. You can't be. You have to be outside of time, not subject to time. He is the creator of time, and he has existence, and he is the giver of existence. That is what I am connotes there in the burning bush. That's why he said it. And Christ repeats it, this I am element at John eight twenty four, eight fifty eight. And, and it clearly says that he is the I am of Exodus 3.14. It's unmistakable. He also does it at 18.5 of John and 18.8 where he's in Gethsemane. That's the Gethsemane arrest where all the Romans and the temple guard, they all come to get him. And he says what to them? Who do you seek? And he goes what? I am. What happens to him? Boom. Immobilized. Face first, in the mud and the dirt, can't move. How good of captors are they? You know, if I'm, I always thought about that, if I'm in the captor group, and the guy says I am, and we're all in the dirt, face first, stuck, I think I'm giving up the captor business. I want to know how many of them ran. How many of them said, oh, well, this is okay, we'll overcome this. Oh, what can he do now besides. See, that's, that's a pastor's dream, isn't it? Be able to say something that freezes everyone in the audience. Why? So then he can go around and go through your purses and your wallets, right? It's fantastic. So yeah, I just can't imagine being in the dirt, face first, and continuing with my operation to capture him. I would consider him at that moment uncapturable. But that's not what happened. And by the way, when he says he is the I am, of, he is the I am of, of Exodus three fourteen. That is as clear a declaration that he is Creator God of the universe, that he's the one with existence. He's outside of time. He created all matter, energy, space, time, everything. It can't get any more clear of that. And you would think that that would end it with the people on the phone with me, right? Should be over. You'd be wrong. John eight twenty four, eight fifty eight, eight five, eight eighteen, Exodus three fourteen does not matter to the least, in the least, to the Jehovah's Witnesses and other like minded groups. What do they do with it? They call it a transcription error. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be there. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean he's God. They won't accept I am to mean God. They don't accept it as a declaration of deity by Christ. I am does not equal God to them. Christ cannot refer to himself as the I am and have it mean that he's God. And that's an inexplicable position. Imagine yourself arguing with these folks that do that. But that is nonetheless what they'll say. And that's where you go. Now you're stopped, right? And what they mean by that is this. Jesus Christ can't use I am to mean he's God. He's got to use Their words. They only accept their words. They decide what their words are. Those are the only words that Christ can use to mean God. And Jesus Christ must use their definitions of their words or it isn't likewise going to be true. And they, in this case, Jehovah's Witnesses, are set themselves up as the arbiter of the definitions of all words spoken by Christ. And they haven't found one yet where they have defined that he's calling himself God. Therefore, they say that I am doesn't mean God to them. So I always, I know what they're going to say. What does he have, what hoop did he have to jump, if I am I'm going to cut it for you, what hoop does he have to have that you'll accept? And they, they only accept the English word, God. Gotta be English. I mean, that seems funny. Yeah, you laugh. Don't we have all of these words that mean God? I can rattle them all off for you. There's some are Greek, some are Hebrew. I won't, but you know, who? Elohim, Shaddai, Adonai, all of these words that mean God, YHWH, Yahweh, Jehovah, all these words that mean God, they will not accept them unless they're specifically translated God. If they're translated us, Elohim is translated us. Us doesn't mean God to them. Logos is not translated God, it's translated Word. Doesn't mean God to them. Gotta be our Word, gotta be in our book. We have to agree. We are the ones that decide, and we've decided that He hasn't fulfilled it. He must say, I am God. And then, of course, as you know, what would happen? They'd remove the word God. They'd have a new word. They won't accept Him. It's pure and simple. They won't allow it. I am isn't approved. Resurrection and the life isn't approved. True vine isn't approved. The amen, the ancient of days, the light of the world, the way, the truth, the life, the first and the last, the son. By the way, Proverbs 30 verse 4, Matthew 11 27, makes it obvious that that is a declaration of his deity. The word, the light, the invisible made visible. They won't accept the Lord. They won't accept Lord God. So that's who you're arguing with. How's your rat hole and windmill going for you? Are you going to win? No. And you got to know that going in. None of those that I mentioned qualify. God must use God as his name. Nothing else means God to them. And they will not consider Hebrew or Greek words and the meanings. They will only consider their English definitions. Now that may not be totally the case, but that is how it has been every time I've been in this discussion. And I don't know what to do. And eventually, I figured out. Okay, I'm in Windmill City. And nothing I I can't. I got a horse and I got a I got a lance. I'm going to go after windmills. I'm not going to win. And needless to say, the trinity of the godhood is discarded also. Or what the Hebrew writers call the spirit of God. See, what do we say? When we're talking about the triunity of God, what do we say? We say, uh, ah, this is the best bet I got. What do we say? My racing is not working so well. We say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But that, by the way, is not what the Hebrew text says. What does the Hebrew text say? It says, Lord God, the angel of God, the And the Spirit of God. They recognize three manifestations, all the same God. Well, they don't recognize it, but they know it's there. The us of Genesis, the Elohim, the him being the plural. Man, look, man has now become like one of us, one of the us. That is a name for God. So if Christ said, I am the us, they wouldn't accept it. Any more than they would accept the I am. So how are we going to discuss with somebody who casts out so much scripture? And, and that's why I go to Romans 5.12, in the blood, in the resurrection. You see, Christ is exempt from Romans 5:12. What I mean by that is that he is a—he has no death generation in him. He has no morti, mortogenic element or factor. He's exempt. That's the purpose of the virgin birth. To repeat that again: He is the only one for whom it is so. He is the only human being that did not have any death element in him. God is both the Father and the Son at the same time, simultaneously. He is the Holy Spirit hovering, and he is the infant child inside the woman Mary that uh, does not have death, sin, uh, blood, uh, contaminated blood transferred to him. And by utilizing the virgin birth, God circumvents the transfer of the death generator and the sin nature. And so God puts it this way, if you will. God provides himself with his own blood. He has to. He's the only one that has any blood that doesn't have any death in it. Everybody else's blood has death in it. His blood doesn't. So he provides himself with his own blood. And hopefully you recognize in that. And that makes sense to you, and you note genesis twenty two eight where Abraham is taking Isaac up the mountain and the and the Hebrew translation literally means this we put it in English and don't always have it right that's why you have to go to the original words as much as you can and and Isaac, who's a thirty year old man at the time probably thirty three in spite of what Hollywood tells you there's a thing on the Bible I haven't watched it I can't watch the Bible movies because they oh I just can't I, I need a a wastebasket in front of me. It's really hard, and they mean well, and I and I really appreciate what they're doing. But there's so much illiteracy in those things because they 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 get it from other people. Uh, they don't ever research it themselves. But the evidence is is that Abraham is taking a 33 year old man up that mountain. That's the exact same mountain that Christ was crucified on, probably on the exact same day, in the exact same place. And Isaac says, where's the sacrificial lamb? And Abraham says to him in 22.8 of Genesis, God will provide himself for the burnt offering, as a burnt offering. So Isaac said, cool, we're going to go up there. We don't have an offering. So he turns to his dad, Abraham, and he said, where's our offering? God will provide himself. That's what the literal phrase is. In other words, God's going to do what? He's going to be the burnt offering here. God provides himself. Very important to know that. Or as God would say it, if that's how Abraham said it. Now imagine that God says it in the first person. If Isaac had said, God, where's the burnt offering? What would God say? I will provide myself. And boy, once you get that. If God were to stand, if I were to ask God, I had that ability in that time saying, who will be the sacrifice for humanity? Who will have the blood? Who will be resurrected? Who will be the sacrificial uh, death? He would say to me, I will provide myself. And when you get that, when you understand that, then you understand what he means, what Christ means, when he says, my God, my Father. He does not mean what we mean. That's another problem with these groups. They defined, when Christ says, my God, what do they do with that? They think it means the same thing that they say. It doesn't. It's connected to God will provide himself. That helps you understand all of that. Whenever Christ, what he really means when he says, my God or my father. Don't ever think that he is in your position. When we say my God, that is a statement of inferiority. It is not with Christ. When we say my father, we might, we might think that's got some kind of, uh, uh, submission or, or order to it. <coughs> uh, higher order, lower order. It doesn't when God, when Christ says it. And he says it to, just to give you some examples. Revelation 3.12. I'll go slow for the internet folks. John 3.17. John 10.17 and 18. John 14.2. Matthew 26.39. Matthew 11.27. And that just names a few passages that are always brought up. And they were brought up the other day. They're troubling to people who don't know the issue, and in the, in the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, bust their little, little peepick and hearts there, they think that no one knows, and so they blast away with those. And it's true, uh, the church today doesn't have a very good understanding of God's definition of my Father or my God. They don't know what he means when he says it. But don't make the mistake of anthropomorphizing. Don't place human definitions in, those, in that, those words. And that's exactly what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. They put their own definition of words into the text. The hierarchy of it. And errors just pour forth after that. And John 14, 8 through 10, clears all this up for you. Let me read that. Here we go. He's saying... He said, I'll go to nine. Uh, Jesus said, to him, here's, Pete, here's Philip. D- just in case you think these apostles and these disciples were, were really smart guys. They weren't. They are like who? Us. We is them. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. What he says, show us the thought. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you don't know me, Philip. Now you can imagine Philip later on in life because John the Apostle was the same way. They realized we are the Lord of dumb. We are the top of the heap of dumbness. We had God in front of us and didn't know it was God. We are so dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. We are stupid dumb. Not just dumb. Christ goes on. He who has seen me has seen the Father. What's he saying? I'm the same as the Father. I'm showing you the Father. It's the same. So how can you say, show us the Father? And then this fantastic. Next Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Ask the obvious question. How big is the Father? I'm going to put him inside. How big a container do I need? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Let me do it a little different. I am in the Father and the Father is, I'm sorry, I am in the Father and the Father in me. Do you believe that? That's what he's asking. It's one of the great, do you believe that verses. There's another one, isn't there? That's why we get to here. Do you believe that the Father and I are in each other? When I ask that question to the Jehovah's Witnesses, what do they answer? What do they answer to that? Do you believe that? I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Do you believe that when Christ says to that, that to them? What do they answer? No. They shout no. They don't hesitate. They don't stutter. They don't beat around the bush. No. And they also shall know at Christ equally great question. It's very much the same in John eleven twenty five through twenty six, where he says this: "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this?" And the Jehovah's Witnesses answer. Nope. Those are the two great believe questions of Christ. and you got to put them side by side. Do you not believe? Do you believe this? It's direct, plain, clear, yes or no questions. How big is the Father? He's infinite. The Father is in Christ. Christ is in the Father. This is also a statement of essence besides size and infinity. It's, it's sameness. It's perfect and intimate union. It's also capacity. And all of these things, the Father and Christ are in each other. They both have omniscience, omnipresence, uh, and omnipotence. They are, they are infinite, and they are the same. They're interconnected. You see the You see Christ. You see the Father. Do you believe that Christ is in the Father and the Father is in Christ? Yes or no? That's what he's asking. Jehovah's Witnesses? No. Do you believe that to know one is to know the other? Yes or no? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is infinite God? Yes or no? It can't get any simpler than that. When I bring that to their, I ask them, answer it. Answer, yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. What do I get? No, 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 no. I go, wow, cool. You had a chance to answer yes. You answered no. I don't like that for you, but that's your business. And they say no to the resurrection of Christ. No. They say that Christ, this is a foundation stone of their faith. I wouldn't call it a stone. It's a foundation tissue paper of their faith. They'll say that Christ did not resurrect bodily. He did not. His body is in the ground somewhere. It went to decay. It was eaten by worms. It went into corruption, the same as every other dead body. That's what they believe. That's why you get this blood, and item four, and death, resurrection, blood, flesh, communion, and death, resurrection. That's why I pound them with that. Because I know what they think. He says to them, I am the resurrection. Do you believe this? And they say, no. Yes, ma'am? No. Oh, no. That's right. There's no difference. Their blood, it gets goes up and Christ's blood goes down in how they present it. They're really good at reducing Christ and raising themselves. Be suspicious. Okay, for Christ's body to decay, to rot, you got the anatomy, the process of that, his body must be subject to death. And therefore, his body must have the mortigenic factor. The death generation factor in it. It has to have it, or it couldn't decay. It couldn't go to corruption. So now you see the problem they have. If Christ's body rotted like every other body, then it had what in it? Contaminated, poisoned, death blood. And therefore, uh, therefore, we have now done what? Destroyed the whole purpose of the virgin birth. Why have a virgin birth? What's the point? The whole point is to get, is to not have the death blood be put into the human being that has to be a sacrifice. But if I say his body, if he didn't re- resurrect and his body goes to corruption, then he has death blood in him. What's the purpose of the virgin birth? There is no purpose. And Christ, therefore, is not sinless. And if he is not sinless, then how, how's my blood transfusion going to work out for him? No, I still got if I got blood death in him too. I got blood death the blood doesn't do anything for me. It can't give life. And if he can't give life and he can't cover sin, and he's not sinless and blameless, then he cannot be the sacrifice. And there is no sweet savor. Who's saved now? Nobody's saved. And that, by the way, is the point, isn't it? Now you can figure out. Whose idea this doctrine is? It belongs to somebody who doesn't want anybody saved. All of salvation doctrine is ruined if Christ did not resurrect himself. And he says, listen, I'm going to resurrect myself. You, I'm going to do it in three days. John 2.19 He resurrects himself, the Father resurrects him, and the Holy Spirit resurrects him. The triune Godhead, as you would expect are all scripturally said to resurrect Christ, including himself. But without the body resurrection of Christ, the virgin birth, the blood sacrifice, the covering, the cleansing, the garment element for sin, you go to the wedding feast parable, if you don't have the blood covering, if you have your own garment, you're cast out. If The fig coverings on Adam and Eve are removed and the blood coverings put on. If you don't have blood that is sinless, all of that makes no sense. None of that belongs in the Bible then. Communion makes no sense because, hey, take this, this is my blood, drink it, because you need life blood. You've destroyed the whole purpose of communion. If his body, if he doesn't resurrect and his body decays, communion makes no sense. The virgin birth makes no sense. The sacrificial covering system doesn't make any sense. The Christ and the Antichrist face to face doesn't even make any sense. Why? The Antichrist has a body. Christ doesn't. That's what they'll say. He's spirit resurrected. Well, wait a minute. The spirit is immortal. It's not subject to resurrection. It can't end. There's no such thing as spirit resurrection. Resurrection doesn't apply to the word spirit. All of that stuff is rendered meaningless in the Bible if you do not have the resurrection, the body resurrection of Christ. And once again, they have placed their definition of resurrection in the place of God's definition. All the weight of the Bible emphatically makes it plain that God's definition of resurrection is body resurrection. And then that resurrected body is reunited, re reestablished with the soul, the spirit, the mind, if you will. So the mind is reunited with the body, and your machine is now fully functional. In a way, it's never been functional before. That's, but the body resurrection is important to God, for obvious reasons. And Christ said, I am the one. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And they say, no, because you weren't resurrected. And let me reword it a little bit for you to help you maybe get the full force of it. I am the one who resurrects the body, and I am the provider of the life force. I am the I am. I have the existence. I am the one that puts the existence in the body. I am the one that goes and finds the body and resurrects it. And I go and I find the existence that I gave you that has all of your information, if you want to think computer, has your mind there, and I put the two together. What's required to do that? How good a surgeon is this guy? But He calls himself the great physician, right? What's required to go resurrect the body and find the life force? He is the resurrector of the body and he is the provider of the life force. What's required to do that? To get them back together again? He has to do what? He has to know first and foremost where they both are. Got to find them. Where are they? He has to reassemble and regrow the body. Remember from last week, www? God hates Well, there's no every dead person is an amputee. I gotta regrow the flesh. I have to re energize the bone. I have to provide blood and flesh. I gotta have a big supply of it. How much blood and flesh do I need? How many people does he have to reassemble? How many people does he have to reinstall the soul spirit for? How many people does he do it for? Take a guess. How many people have been alive since Adam? I would guess it's pushing 20 billion. That is a lot. He does it for everybody. Saved and unsaved. It's not about resurrection. It's not about immortality. It's about your destiny. He asks you two questions. Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Do you believe I'm God? Do You you have to believe I'm the I Am. Do you believe that? Do you believe I'm the resurrection and the life? The provider of resurrection, the provider of life. Do you believe that? Yes or no? Do you take the blood that he offers you or not? Do you believe or do you not believe? How much memory does he have to have to find everybody? How much power does he have to have? Make all that stuff again. How much new blood, new flesh? Where does he get the new blood and the new flesh? He provides it himself. And the himself is the myself. It's his blood, it's his flesh. I will provide myself. How much power is required? How big is this job? That is a big job, baby. And who can do it? Who could do that? Only God can do that. And Christ says that he can do it. and He's the only one that can do it. And do you believe it? So what's he saying to the Jehovah's Witnesses? He doesn't say, I'm God in English. He says, I'm God in Hebrew and Greek all over the place. He also says, I'm the one that provides flesh, blood, resurrection, and the existence. And they say, that doesn't qualify you for being God. You're not saying you're God The Jews knew, they they immediately said, you're calling yourself God when you say all of this stuff. But for some reason, we have a couple of million people that are convinced he never said it. How can that be? Go ahead. Well, they deny the resurrection. And they deny his Godhood. And if you look at that, He's in, we're in real trouble. There's no salvation without the resurrection. No salvation unless he's God, because he doesn't have the blood. He doesn't have the ability to do what he says. Okay, to recap this a little bit. The virgin birth requires body resurrection. Know that. If there is no body resurrection, then there is no virgin birth. You've destroyed the doctrine of the virgin birth unless you have the doctrine of the body resurrection of Christ. And you can work that out. It's logical. Follow the blood. It's like follow the money, except it's blood. And when Christ says, my God, it's different. His definition is not the same as when we say my God. The my is capitalized when he says it. When we say my God, we have little itty bitty my and great big God. That's the way it should be. My, my, the my, I'll make it, I'll make it the right side. There. Little itty-bitty my great big God. When he does it, it's my God. They're the same size. You have to know that. The my is capitalized when he says it alongside the God. My God. We mean, when we say it, that we are what? Owned by God. We belong to God. We come from God. And identify ourselves as belonging to God, or in the case of paganism, to a God, which doesn't exist. The pagans, they belong to a counterfeit. But we're saying essentially, this is the God that I belong to, who made me. Not that much different than saying, I'm a resident of Alaska. I went to this school and I I work at this company. Okay, You want to think of it that way, you can. It's not totally accurate, but it gives you the gist. When Jesus Christ says, my God, or my Father, he is the God in that statement. He's My God can easily translate this way. I, I, I wish I had a board that erased better, so I'll, hopefully I have a pen that you can see. I'm going to call my God is the same as saying what? My me, because God is him. He could say, my, my. It's the same two words, if you will. He could say, my God is the same as saying God, God. Because the my means God in that sentence, and the God means God in that sentence. I like to say, my, me. I will provide myself is equally written and said is I will provide my God. I will provide my son. I will provide my father. I will provide my spirit as the burnt offering. It's all in the same. I and the Father are the same, John ten thirty. We are the same. We are one. It's exactness. It's profound error. It is blasphemy to replace our feeble perspective of the word my in the Christ statements. Does that make sense? What you mean by my and what he means by my are not the same my. I ask the Jehovah's Witnesses every time the same question, if they let me. If I haven't made them so screaming mad at me, I get to ask this question. I didn't get that far this time. So obviously I'm not as friendly as I used to be. Or they don't think I have any hope. They give up on me faster now. But I ask them this question eventually if I get to. Is Jesus Christ, I ask them, inferior to the Father? How fast do they say yes? Wham! Yes. What's that? That's right. Listen, they don't accept what the Jews accept. The Jews were wrong, they'll tell you. The Jews as you're right, sought to crucify him, sought to stone him, sought to capture him, because they said, you are declaring yourself to be God. Well, as far as the Jehovah's Witnesses are concerned, he really didn't. The Jews were mistaken about that. Again, they're putting their own words in their own... They have their own Bible. It doesn't read the same as yours. You start reading their Bible, you go, okay, somebody did a lot of work here. He wanted this group, and of course you can research them. They're relatively new uh, sect. I'm hustling, Terry. Okay. Is Jesus Christ inferior to the Father? They instantly say, yes, he is. I ask it sometimes by the way of Christians. I lost a, a very wonderful family. You drive in away visitors every Sunday here. Uh, I asked uh, one day in uh, in the church, I said, is Jesus Christ forever in subjection to the Father and the Spirit? And the woman came up and said, yes, he is. He's he is not equal to the Father. She'd gone to church her whole life. I went, wow. You're not going to like it here. You need to go find a church that thinks that. But this isn't one. And if you answer yes, and many do answer yes to both of those questions, it's the same question. I hope you see that. But if you answer yes to that question, it's as wrong as wrong can be. And you've got to go back to John 14, 8 through 10, John 11, 25 through 26. And answer yes to those questions. If you answer yes, I believe you're the resurrection and the life. And if you answer yes, I believe you're infinite God. The Father's in you and you're in the Father. If you answer yes to those, then it's impossible for Christ to be inferior. So go back to John 14, 8 through 10, John 11, 25 through 26 and say, do I believe this? Because one is saying he's infinite God. The other one says that he is the God who provides the life He is the God who resurrects the body. Answering yes to that makes it impossible for God to be in, or Christ to be inferior. He has sameness. Okay. Now here's your homework for this Sunday coming up. What is God's motive or purpose for guarding the tree of life at Genesis three twenty four? Adam and Eve have to be driven out of the garden and God has to guard the tree of life from them. And he does. He puts himself there to guard it. He provides himself to guard. That's the flaming sword, the Shekinah glory of God. He provides himself uh, to protect Adam and Eve from going to the tree of life after they have been covered in blood. So they cannot lose their salvation. Because he protects it. He provides himself as the protector of your salvation. So you don't have to worry about that. If you can answer yes to those questions in John 14, John 11, then God will protect you. That's what he says. So he's trying to keep the saved from getting to the second tree and circumventing physical death. And then I ask this question all the time. If you knew you were not subject to physical death, what incentive would you have to be saved? Then I asked this question. In other words, how de-incentivized would you be if you were not subject to physical death? Are you subject to physical death? Does that incentivize you? Some it does. Some have thought it through. I really don't care. I'm kind of a bottom line guy. But clearly, God protected that. What's his motive for guarding the, uh, what's his purpose for guarding the tree of life? Now, I want you to think about the angelic host for a second. Do they, are they subject to physical death? What incentivized them? Some are lost. Some are not lost. Why? Why does God give provide Himself? I mean, you've got to think about it. Besides the fact that there is no source of blood, could he make new blood? He ultimately does, but he provides himself as the sacrifice. Why? It's a big job, I'll give you that. But it's also the kind of person he is. It's relevatory. What incentivizes you to be saved? The belief in the goodness of God is where we will head. If you live forever, or if I live forever physically, uh, the evil that we would become would be astonishing. We would say, well, that's bad, but- That's not that bad. That's what we do now. Imagine if you had thousands of years to do that.
1: How black-hearted
0: would we be? Death is for our sake. Guarding is for our sake. God has a firm understanding of where we go. Next week, we will get into... Mortogenic factors and biology and germ cells and plasma gene and all those cool things that you always do on star Let's stand and be to space.